It gives me a great pleasure to welcome and introduce uh, another entrepreneur uh, like Michael and myself, uh, Roy Chikbalapur. Roy is, um, is a founder and CEO of a company called Mashik. It is based in Basel, Switzerland. And it really has an interesting point of view in terms of how they think about e-commerce, how they think about customer portals. And really over the last four or five years, uh, Roy has uh, done a fabulous job in building out the company and really starting to address some specific pain points that are very relevant to the poll results we saw earlier today. I can tell you a little bit about it, Roy, but I'd rather have him uh, give you his story. So with that, uh, Roy, over to you. I'm gonna go on uh, off camera and off mic and I'll let you tell your story and uh, get into the presentation. So welcome, Roy. Thanks, Vivek. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, when Vivek uh, reached out to me to uh, ask me if I'd be interested in speaking about e-commerce and customer portals, which is pretty much Mashik's uh, bread and butter, uh, I wanted to understand where he was coming from, what is industry next? And I think what you've done Vivek in building this community to this size in such a short time, uh, hats off. Uh, I think that's uh, it's a fantastic community that you're building here and I'm happy to be part of it. Uh, a little bit about myself. So my name is Roy. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Mashik. We're based in Basel in Switzerland and we are a software as a services company that's focused on building two parts of a platform. And I will come to that in a minute. Uh, just a little bit of history. Uh, when the idea to build Mashik came to me, I was working in a large industrial automation company called Schneider Electric, it's a pretty big, uh, even in the US. And I was working with a lot of the machinery customers of Schneider Electric Automation. And this was 2012 when we were talking about IoT and what it can do. And a lot of machine builders that I went and saw back then were telling me consistently, hey, all this is great, looks great on paper, but you know, when a customer calls me, I don't even know who he is. Uh, to go from there to say, all my machines are connected. I have a team of people remotely looking at these machines and being able to actually diagnose in advance that there is an issue and tell the customer what it is, that's a few years away. And the way they said it, it looked like decades. But I think one of the things that COVID has done is kind of validate what I think uh, one of the communist uh, uh, leaders in the Soviet Union said some time back, which was that uh, there can be years where nothing happens and then there are months when years happen. And I think COVID has kind of done that to our industry as well. And I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, I will focus on e-commerce specifically, but I'll try to kind of broaden that picture to think of customer portals on the whole as to how you should do it and how it can be done right. Uh, maybe a little bit about uh, Mashik in the next slide. So we can move to the next one. Yes, thank you. Uh, we are a SaaS company. So what we offer is a software as a service, one for machinery companies and one for your industrial end user customers. And we, when we built Mashik, we built it out of one single thesis. And that is that the maintenance processes of a typical industrial end user are where the opportunities for MRO services uh, for a machine builder. So if it was possible to seamlessly plug in the service offerings of a typical machinery company, this is typically spare parts. It is, we call it repair services, but I think of it as uh, know-how, uh, which can now, and this, this is something that has been validated uh, through COVID, can actually be delivered in many cases remotely. Uh, and then of course, the know-how again coming into play uh, where a machine builder who knows the physics of his machine is able to kind of analyze upcoming issues and warn their customers and not just warn their customer, but even prescribe action. So these are the kind of 
opportunities in the maintenance process of a typical end user that a, main, a machine builder can plug into. And then we really are able to do two things at the same time. And one is that you're able to extract higher performance at lower costs as an end user, but at the same time, drive more service revenue and more profitable service revenue for a machine builder from the install base. Next slide, please. Uh, a, a little bit about numbers. So we are actually pretty young. We were founded in 2017. We've been growing rapidly. Uh, COVID uh, actually resulted in a 7x growth for us last year. Uh, we manage about 200,000 assets on our platform. Uh, that's kind of how we measure our impact on uh, our industry. Uh, we have data on 400 different machinery brands. And speaking about e-commerce, we have 1.2 million SKUs that are listed on our platform that are uh, available for purchase. Uh, from the end users that are also using our platform for maintenance. Um, I'll start with the first question, and that is, are we solving the right problem with e-commerce? And I'm sure you've seen uh, this, uh, this kind of caricature before or something uh, of an offshoot of it. And why I brought this up is because a lot of times when companies start a discussion, this is not uh, specific to the machinery industry, when they start a discussion about e-commerce, they say, let's just slap on an Amazon interface, uh, put our, our, our products in there and a customer would buy. Uh, but the question is, what is the fundamental problem that you're solving for your customers? And what are the potential opportunities that you are also able to kind of get uh, or tap into uh, from this investment? And a lot of times that discussion happens usually after the first version of the website is out and it's usually too late. Next slide, please. So I, I tried to get a little bit more operational here. And I go back to that conversation I told you I was having with this machine builder. What we did was we mapped out the typical order desk process when a customer calls. Usually a customer who's calling typically belongs to either the purchasing department or to the maintenance department. And fundamentally it goes something like this. Uh, if you're a global, uh, if, you're a, if you have customers across the globe and you have a single order desk or regional order desks even, the first question is who is calling? And I was speaking with a Swiss machine builder sometime back and they kind of have a single order desk for across the world. And when an African customer calls them, it takes them about 15 minutes across the different accents and languages to understand who it is. And that's probably the same if it is an Asian customer who's calling as well. Now, if you take through the who's calling, what can I do for you? Then comes the next question, which is, what's the serial number of your machine? Because quite often, and I think Vivek's company addresses this pretty well, uh, is the serial number is the point from where you determine what are the parts, what are the additional services that you can offer on that machine. And going through the entire life cycle of the parts and the bill of materials, and then to the order and quote process, which actually begins at that point of time, a customer is potentially just stuck in the process for about 60 hours. And this is typically his frustration that can be automated away with e-commerce. And that's where the opportunity lies. And it's really in this central one, which is what serial number it is. Uh, if you take it from a customer's perspective, he's really looking to identify what are the right parts to order, how much will it cost him, and how long it will take for him to receive it. And if this information isn't readily available to him, then the entire e-commerce experience typically fails. And that's kind of, usually when we've been brought in by companies that have kind of tried to do a version one and it hasn't worked. Next slide, please. Now, uh, I spoke of the Amazon uh, interface, right? Now, usually what happens with that, uh, what we've discovered is uh, it's easy to build that. You have a lot of ready uh, e-commerce solutions out there. You can pick one and you can just make that prototype with a few photos. And usually what, that hap what happens is when you take it to a pilot, the customer says, so where are my parts? 
uh, what are the parts that I can order? I don't want to see 1 million parts. I just want to see the 10 parts that I'm ordering. And while that interface kind of works for companies that are selling consumables and supplies, uh, which are not necessarily se uh, centered around a single machine, as soon as you get into large machines that you supply, uh, then you're looking at parts that are specific to that specific serial number, which could potentially be a custom built machine, in which case even the spare part SKUs are uh, specific to that machine. So you need to have a system that is actually able to do both, uh, which is why we recommend to our customers, don't try to be the software company. Uh, work with a partner who gets e-commerce for your industry. And I think there are, it's not just Mashik, there are others that understand uh, e-commerce for the machinery industry. It's better for you to work with one of those, but there is work for you to do. And the focus of your organization should be data, data, and data. And if you don't have a high level of data quality, if it is not complete enough to basically help your customer uh, run that experience that I spoke about earlier, if you don't have photos, if you don't have things like UNSPC uh, descriptions, then you have a lot of roadblocks that come in later that frustrate your customer and potentially reduce the efficiencies that your teams can gain. Uh, just on that point, uh, we found a company that uses our solution. And again, I, I don't want to boast too much about it, but they were able to save 75% of the effort that their order desk was uh, incurring in taking orders. And they were able to kind of refocus a lot of those team members into actually service sales. So there is a future for automation and there is an efficiency gain that is actually delivering dollars. And that's something that you should look at as you build a business case for e-commerce. Moving on. So in the first part, I spoke about how a customized user experience can actually help you and your customers do better. I'll take you to another end of that spectrum. And this is typically when we work with large machine building companies and they have a problem of plenty. So it could either be because they've acquired different companies that were at different levels of digital maturity, or it could be that they have a team that has built a portal for IoT and condition monitoring. There's another e-commerce portal. There's a third portal where you can uh, submit tickets as a customer for support. And what this does is what this image uh, tells a really good and easy way of uh, kind of explaining what happens is you're basically subjecting quite often the same individual on your customer side through different customer experiences on your brand. And the different images that he has with the different flows and so on, it's not just shortchanging your customers, but everything that Michael said about building a service portfolio, if you don't have that unitary view of every single one of your, at least one of your large and medium-sized accounts, the ability for your uh, service product teams to deliver, build and deliver new service products is very severely hampered. So it's actually better to have an integrated customer experience that comes from a single customer portal as you take that forward. Next slide, please. So here's a typical example. So we speak of IoT, and I think there was also a point of view about uh, fuzzy value proposition. I, I hear a lot about that from IoT, uh, because there is an upfront investment that you make, that your customer has to make. You're sending data as a service, as uh, Michael put it, but then there is no value. Now, if you, if you speak with a lot of your customers, uh, what they will tell you is fundamentally, every service that they're buying, what they really want to buy is peace of mind. Uh, and a peace of mind, if you want to combine an offering of e-commerce, of uh, remote technical support via, let's say, a video call and IoT, it basically flows something like this. You have a team that is able to vi visualize and monitor sensor data from your machines, analyze that data, alert your customer. But when you alert your customer, you're not just telling your customer, hey, your machine is going to go down in the next 20 days, but you want to tell them 
what they need to do, what parts they need to change, the specific references that they need to buy in order for them to be able to perform that job and preempt that failure. If you want to bring that full experience in one place and actually define a positive value proposition, you again need an integrated story. So again, move up, uh, sorry, uh, back please. Work with an industry specific service provider. This is important, but there is again, a lot of work for you to do. And that is around communication, change management, training and customer engagement. And that's where you should focus your own teams on. Next slide, please. Now let's assume you've done both of those. So what comes next? And we've seen very few machinery companies that are in this stage, but what uh, one of them told me is this is like the hotel bar. Basically every bottle in that refrigerator there is more expensive than what you'd find at the 7-Eleven downstairs, but you're too lazy to put your clothes on, go down and get that discount. You just do the easy thing, which is pick up a bottle from there. Now, how do you do that in your business? And this is something we learned as well. It's not something that we, uh, we are teaching, we have uh, some really uh, pioneering machine building companies that we do work with. And this is one of the lessons we learned from them. Next slide, please. So I know that uh, this theme is pretty relevant for all of us today, and that is around supply chain. Uh, now, some of the service companies that uh, service leaders that we spoke with told us that in the last six months, order intake has increased by 25% but invoicing can't keep up. And that's because there isn't enough supply. So one of the things that they are doing is trying to build out these uh, uh, consignment stocks, which they want to kind of share across a, a, a bunch of customers in a particular regional cluster. Now, if you want to do that, you need to build virtual inventories. And if you want uh, to build virtual inventories, you need to find ways for your customer to share a lot of their inventory data with you in a secure manner. And this is not just about software system, but it's also about business models. It's about relationship models that you have uh, with your customers. But if you're able to get your customer to spend more time on your system, which is what you do with the previous uh, step, which is bringing in all your services into one place, then you're able to get to that next level where you're integrating your customer's process with your own growth story, which is all the different service products that you will build. And this is not just about business. I think there is another theme that this is tapping into, and that is everything around the green turnover, uh, about sustainability. And fundamentally, this is a more sustainable way to do spare part sales by selling more with, or at least growing more revenue without necessarily selling more stuff. And this is, we believe the future, and this is kind of where we are driving a lot of our customers to. Next slide, please. So just to summarize, this is the journey that we see. A lot of companies find themselves today on the left end of the spectrum, traditional order desks. And that's, that's not bad. It's, it's, it's doing a pretty decent job today. It's still 20% of most companies' revenue, 60 to 70% of gross margins. That's great. Uh, but what it, uh, what it does is it's not scalable because every uh, new order means more manpower. You have very poor visibility of incoming orders. And that's something that's kind of uh, very clear to everybody who's in that business. And you're really seen as order handlers. And that's really not where you will build a, a more sustainable uh, business. You take yourselves through that journey that I just described to you. But when you get to that fully managed service uh, that was in the last section, there is a very high level of repeatability and scalability because you don't need a lot of manpower, additional manpower to execute more customer contracts in, in, in such a model. Uh, you have much better visibility of incoming business. And I think more importantly, you can do what we do in the SaaS business. You're no longer waiting for orders, but you're actually engaged in the success of your customers. And then you can truly deliver 
peace of mind for your customers. And that we believe is your future as the service organization of a machinery company. Thank you. That's Brilliant. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Roy. You helped us catch up a couple of minutes on time. So maybe DJ, we can take a couple of questions. Maybe uh, one couple for Roy, maybe one from Michael, if you have any. I see something in the Q&A box. Sure, I think this came in for Michael earlier, so let's just start there. Uh, Michael, the question is, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for marketing and aftermarket slash in-store base to collaborate and drive growth? Okay, so I'm, I'm not sure if the person who wrote that is referring to services or the tactics. So I'll address both. On the tactics side, I think the biggest opportunity is to focus on the execution. Um, by using that content strategy they spoke to spoke to you all about. This is an approach I use to build my consulting practice. And we've I found that it works for software companies and service businesses as well to you know, use content to educate your market about what you do. In terms of opportunities, in terms of if you're talking about services, I think think there's a lot of them. Um, I'm really big on you know, trying to monetize investments in technology as a way of generating new opportunities. So if you're currently using augmented reality, um, we're, we're, we have a paper coming out on that, how, how to monetize and generate revenue from augmented reality, reality to, to basically offer a remote support uh, service um, and charge for that. And that's a way to generate revenue and it delivers a better outcome than letting having somebody wait for a technician to come on site, if you could do it remotely rather than waiting a, a day or the next day for service, you know, I think you know some of the things that that um, we've already we've already talked about about um, that Roy talked about about using data and analytics. Um, I think that's a great opportunity as well. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Michael. Uh, quickly moving on to the next question from Sam. Uh, Sam, you said uh, you addressed this to Roy. What percent of total revenue did you say come from part sales? Yeah, so there is a market uh, study from uh, the VDMA, which is the Machine Builders Association uh, of Germany. And according to, I think this was a couple of years ago already. And at that time, it was at 19% of total revenue that comes from uh, services, but mostly spare part sales. Thank you, Roy. Uh, Chip says, hey, Roy and Michael, good presentation, but how do we balance a customized UI but still struggle with service value story. What's a trade-off? Thanks. Michael, do you want to take that first? Uh, I was gonna let you take that one. Okay, fine, <laughs> I can. Uh, see, one of the things that digitalization does, and especially uh, when you pick a SaaS vendor, is you can customize at scale. And it's not as expensive as most people imagine. It's definitely not, not like the mechanical engineering industry of the machinery uh, industry. Uh, you can actually code in a lot of the customization. You can actually design the uh, user experience uh, to basically be driven not just by the customer as a company or uh, an industry, uh, a sub-industry that, uh, that you serve, but actually as an individual user. It's actually possible to do. Uh, but if you want to tie that to service value story, I think the place to start is to say, what is the role that the specific user plays in his or her company? And typically for services, what we see is we, we see three or four different personas of customer users who kind of log into these kind of portals. So we see maintenance. Typically, this is the most uh, uh, important uh, user persona. 
Uh, then you have the purchasing guys, but these guys are in and out pretty quickly. They're just consuming information. Sometimes, depending on what kind of services you're offering, you could have a plant manager or um, an operations manager in. And I think the, the, the important thing in all of these cases, and the last one, of course, is people who are kind of running uh, continuous improvement in these kind of uh, um, initiatives in the, in, in the customer, right? But irrespective, I think what's important is to box in at, at the beginning of the customization journey, box in people into the kind of personas that uh, uh, they belong to, and then see what kind of priorities they have as it, as it pertains to your service offering. And if you can actually just drive the experience for those personas based on how do you give them what they want quickly, because unlike a Google or you know a lot of these uh, B2B, uh, sorry, B2C websites, right? And you, your customers don't necessarily you don't measure the value that you deliver to these customers based on how much time they spend on your system. In most cases, it's the opposite. Uh, but what you want to say is what different use cases can you help your customers execute on your platform? And the more use cases you can deliver persona by persona, you're actually adding more value, but you're still somehow customizing the user experience more than the user interface uh, to the uh, priorities of your customer. That's what I would say. Thank you, Roy. Thank you.